Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Y'all are excited. I like those kids being pumped about Christmas when Pastor Brad was telling the Christmas story there. Who's excited about Christmas? Yeah, you are? Let me ask you this question then. What are you most excited about? Buckets of candy canes. I don't know if that's what it said, but presents, Christmas, duh, pastor, come on, get with the program here. That's right. Yes, I love that. I don't even know what you said, but it sounded great. Yeah. Just so you know, parents, some of you might be tense, like, oh, don't talk while the pastor's talking. I've got four kids. I'm used to people talking while I'm talking. And uh, it's beautiful to hear kids cry, even if they're crying out or whatever. Kids are not just part of the church now. The future of the church. And so if you're listening to the message in just a moment, I'm sharing some verses and maybe you don't have little kids or whatever and you're like, oh, quiet that kid down. No, no, it's wonderful. We love it. Amen. And I'm glad each one of you are here. Merry Christmas. I do want you to think about this question. What are you most looking forward to tomorrow? Because there's a lot of things that we can look forward to. Presents and being with our people, cookies. Like who doesn't love cookies? You need to eat some, you know, candy canes and different food that's going to happen. I think as, I, as I've reflected on what's going to happen tomorrow, I'm most excited about the memories that are going to be made. Because every year there's memories that are made. I don't know what they're going to be yet. Who knows what's going to happen? But I look back over the last several years, even the life of my experiences with Christmas, there's always a memory. And sometimes at the moment, it seems like a terrible situation. Like I, I look at my hand, I've got this cut on my hand, this scar that's here. In uh, 2017, I was opening a present for one of my kids. Somebody gave me a knife I should have never had. I cut my hand open. I ended up at the ER. Now every time I look at that, I'm like, oh, Christmas, when I look at my hand. I remember when I was a kid one time, I was like five, six years old, my grandma's house caught on fire while we were opening the presents. And I was in the midst of all the wrapping paper. I made it, for anyone who was concerned. When I look back at that, I'm like, you know, I ditched the socks, grabbed the toys, and we were all says like drama at the time. But now, now I look back, I'm like, wow, Christmas, it's active. <laughs> and there's a lot of things that happen at Christmas. For our family, we try to do certain traditions tonight after the Christmas Eve services are over with and everybody's settled back down. We'll go to our house, and it's our tradition at, at the Lear House that the kids get to open one present on Christmas Eve. It's always the same thing. Don't tell our youngest daughter, but it's always the same present. But one year... We had a different present that we added. We were going to get a puppy. It was in 2016, and we didn't have the puppy yet. So I gave them a picture of the puppy. They opened it, and at first it just looked like a picture of a cute puppy. And then I said, his name is Sparty. We're going to be bringing him home in a few days. We're going to go pick him up. And I think we actually have a video of how they responded, if you want to see. They were excited. Yeah, they can give the Lord a hand. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and so a few weeks ago, I was sitting at the counter with our 11-year-old daughter, Janie. She was the first one to jump on me in that video there. And I just looked at her and I said, what do you want for Christmas this year? And she said, a dog. I said, you're not getting a dog. Like we already have, in fact, we have two dogs. And I said, do you remember a couple years ago we got sports? She's like, I want my own dog. Then I had a brilliant fatherly moment. I thought to myself about memories that I have with her, and I said, honey, do you remember when you were little, you didn't make us presents, you didn't buy us presents, you would go around the house and grab things that we already own, put a bow on it, and then give it to us as a present. She was like, yeah, I remember that. I said, Sparty, get back in here. 
bow on them. There you go, Janie. You're all set. Christmas is settled. She didn't like that a whole lot. She's giving me a little dirty look right now over there. But she had the right idea. What she was doing is she was looking back to one of the best Christmas presents she's ever received, and it caused her to look forward with great anticipation. See, when we look back, it should cause us to look forward. Now, I know that's difficult in a year like 2020 because we look at 2020, and it's been really hard for some people. I think all of us look at it and go, that that wasn't the best year that we've ever had. In fact, the U.S. Census Bureau did a survey, and I I shared it with our congregation as a whole. We've been doing a, a sermon series as a church called Hope Delivered. And they asked the question to Americans, how many of you in the last seven days have felt down, depressed, or even hopeless? And 48% of Americans said that they were down, depressed, even hopeless. And I've shared in our sermon series that hope is never about the past. We don't hope about the past. The past has happened. But we do hope about the future. Hope is always future. But when we look to the past, it should cause us to have hope for the future, especially at Christmas. Because we look not only to the greatest story ever told, but the greatest gift that's ever been given. And should give us great anticipation for the the gift that is to come. The first coming of Jesus should cause us to look to the second coming of Jesus. And so I want to ask you as I read to you a passage of Scripture in just a moment, what are you looking forward to this Christmas? And if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you entered into this room, and what you were most looking forward to was not the second coming of Jesus. But I hope when you leave it will be. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, before the end of this message, I'm going to tell you how you can become one. The passage of scripture I want to share with you, I I bet you've probably never heard it at a Christmas Eve service before. It's from the book of Revelation. (laughs) Now, just saying that, some people get uneasy, like, what's about to happen here? Here's why. Because most Christians usually have one of two responses to the book of Revelation. One, either they're so scared of it, they don't ever want to read it. It's just a bunch of symbols and beasts and plagues and all kinds of stuff, and we don't understand it. So, like, let's just not read that part of the Bible. And then there's some people that obsess over the book of Revelation. And they read it, and every verse, they, they want to grab a news headline and put it next to the verse, and every bad leader, it's like, that's the Antichrist, and they're reading those things. But really, the book isn't that complicated. No one understands all the symbolism, but the word revelation just means unveil. The full title of the book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And what I think we'll see as we read this passage is the, the first coming of Jesus, Christmas, actually points us to this unveiling of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. And what's happened in the book so far is chapter 1 is about a vision that John the Apostle receives. Chapters 2 and 3 are about some churches that existed while he was walking there. Chapter 4 through 22 is all about the future. I'm going to read to you from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. And what's happening here, it's really just for the people that when Jesus came the first time, they understood the story wasn't just about a baby being born in a manger. They understood that a Savior was being born. Not a miraculous birth, not a moral teacher, but a Savior who came to save us from our sins, who lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, who died on the cross, the death that we deserve to die. Because Christmas by itself is an incomplete story. It points us to Easter. And at Easter, Jesus Christ is risen. That's right. Every Sunday, we celebrate Easter at Southbridge because Jesus Christ is risen. The resurrection of Jesus actually points us to the ascension of Jesus. The ascension of Jesus points us to the return of Jesus. So the first story points us to the last. And here it is. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle John talks about this vision that he saw. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne, and this is probably the voice of an angel, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, this is God, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Amen. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is a glorious picture of what it will be like for those who responded appropriately to the first coming of Jesus when Jesus comes back. And those who responded appropriately are the people who have asked Jesus Christ to be their Savior. And what happens is the moment when Jesus comes the first time, it actually points us to the second time, but that's easy to miss in the Christmas story. In fact, there's a lot of things that we just don't grasp in the Christ, at Christmas time because we're so focused on our traditions. In fact, one of the songs we sang tonight, Joy to the World, it's actually over 300 years old. We've modified it a little bit. They didn't have uh, the electric guitar riffs that we have for Joy to the World back then. But when that song was written, the author, Isaac Watts, was actually not thinking about Christmas. He was thinking about the second coming of Jesus. But it's appropriate for us to sing it as a Christmas song because the Christmas story points us to Christ's second coming. In fact, Christmas actually guarantees Christ's second coming. Christmas guarantees Christ's second coming. Now, you think about a guarantee. Think about that word. Oftentimes, we get in our minds different labels that have been put on, on products that we've bought or different companies or promises people have made. And everybody here probably knows a guarantee is only as good as the person that backs the guarantee. And so you might think of certain industries where they put so much fine print on a guarantee that you know they're never going to honor the guarantee. Or somebody who's just not trustworthy, you think that's not a very good guarantee. Or there's places that have great guarantees. I don't know if you're familiar with the store REI. This is not a commercial. This sermon was not endorsed by REI. But REI is a store that you can find in North Hills. They sell camping gear, kayaks, tents, coats, boots, all that kind of stuff. So if you're into that kind of thing, you probably know they have a very generous return policy. In fact, people were upset a, a few years ago. They actually had to change their return policy so it only would, would work for pro products that were bought within 12 months. Because what was happening is that people were returning ski jackets that were 30 years old, and they'd get a new ski jacket. Parents were bringing their kids in with boots that their kids had outgrown, saying, we need a new pair of boots, and they'd give them new boots. That was their return. I, if I was a salesperson, I'd be like, the problem's not the boots, it's the kid. Kid outgrew the boots, boots are fine. In fact, I read one story from a customer service website that they had of a couple who had gone camping in Central America, and the bus that they were traveling on blew up. They weren't on the bus when it blew up, and that's actually how they started their letter to REI. They said, thankfully, we weren't on the bus when it blew up, but two of our backpacks were. And what they did is they took little pieces of the backpack, put it in a box that was labeled caution, ironically, sent it to REI, and REI sent them two new backpacks. It's a great guarantee. But I'll tell you, even if you look at REI's guarantee, it has nothing on the Christmas story. The Christmas story actually guarantees Christ's second coming. You heard Pastor Dave say earlier when he was reading from Isaiah, there are hundreds of prophecies that predicted the coming of Jesus, and they were fulfilled in that moment when Jesus came. You know why? Because God keeps his promises. Sometimes when you read the Christmas story, it can almost seem like in the New Testament, angels are just popping up everywhere. Like that was normal everyday occurrence. Angels just popped up. That's not true. Angels appearing then were about as common as angels appearing now. But you got this young girl. She's 14 to 16 years old. She's not married. She's never been with a man. An angel appears to her and says, you're going to have a child. 
She says, how is that possible? I've never been with a man. And, she, and the angel says, because God does the impossible. Amen. But she's engaged to this guy, and, and how, he's an honorable man. How is he going to stay with her? Of course, the, the baby, babies don't just come to virgins. And so how could this happen? And in Matthew chapter 1, an angel appears to him in a dream. and says, Joseph, this has been promised hundreds of years ago, the prophet said. Behold, the virgin will be with child and give birth, and you're to name him Emmanuel, God with us. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, he's told, give him the name Jesus. Do you know why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. Or what Pastor Brad was reading to those kids earlier in Luke chapter 2. There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch by night. What were they keeping watch for? Not angels. They were watching their sheep. But then an angel appeared. So behold, I bring you good news of great joy. It'll be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's a Savior. He's not a teacher. He's not a moral example. He's a Savior. He came to save us from our sins. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And do you know what happens after that? They go and, and they look for the baby and they find it just like God said. Do you know why? Because the Christmas story screams to us, God keeps his promises. God is faithful. The Christmas story points us to the second coming of Jesus because the second coming of Jesus has been promised too. It says, be alert, I'm coming, I'm coming soon, over and over again in the Bible. In fact, when he ascends into heaven, then an angel comes and says, he's going to come back just like he left. Are you ready? But you know what's interesting is if you look at the Christmas story, there were people that knew the promises but didn't pursue the Savior. In Matthew chapter 2, version of the Christmas story, there's these wise men that come into Jerusalem and they've been following a star of the one who's been born king of the Jews is Jesus. And they ask the Jewish people, where is he? And they don't know. And so they take him to the guy who's the king that day, and it's Herod, and he's not even fully Jewish, and, and he doesn't know. And so he calls some religious people that study their Bible all the time, and they come in, and they're like, that's easy. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. You can read that verse in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. It's actually a citation, a quotation of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And in Micah 5, 2, that was written hundreds of years earlier, and here it's happening. But do you know what's interesting if you read Matthew 2? Is those people that knew the Bible so well, they didn't go see Jesus. They went to another church service, or they went and read their Bible some more, but they didn't go see Jesus. It got me thinking about a memory from, from when we were just taking the kids to different Christmas experiences growing up. And I remember when we had only two girls, and uh, Ella, our oldest, was about four years old, and Ava was about two years old. And we went to this church down in Apex. I think it was Apex Baptist Church, but they do a thing called Journey to Bethlehem. And on a normal year, if you've got little kids, it's a great experience for your kids to actually interact with the Bible story. And we went down there, and they had us, you know, go through the marketplace of Jerusalem. You're walking through the halls of the church, and money changers are bad in the Bible, but you got some coins, and they were able to buy gummy bears. I don't know if that was in the Bible, but it was fun. And so we were doing that. We went out into this outside area they had, and they had an angel appear, and our kids thought it was like a real angel. Behold, I bring you good news, and they were excited. But the culmination of the whole thing happened when they brought us into the auditorium. And we went to the auditorium of this church, and we were supposed to get a seat. And uh, I don't know if you know who the main characters are in the Christmas story, if you haven't read the beginning of the Gospels, but there's three. And I'm a professional. I'm supposed to tell people the Christmas story, so I knew there were only three. Jesus is the star of the story. Then there's Mary. Then there's Joseph. Those are the supporting actors. I had one job when we went into the auditorium, was to keep track of my oldest daughter. <laughs> 
my wife having the youngest over there doing the, the hardest of the job, and, and I got enthralled in the story. I know the story. I don't know what happened, but I got enthralled in the story, and then I looked up, and there were four characters on the stage. Mary, Joseph, Jesus, and Ella. I look next to me, I was like, this is all, that's my Ella. And I look over at my wife, and she's looking at me like, you better go get that kid. And so I go up there, I grab Ella, I bring her back down, I sit on the seat next to me, I'm like, what are you doing? And she just looked up at me and she said, I just wanted to see Jesus. And I thought, isn't that the point? And here I am, I'm like, oh, we got to make the right memories. we got to program this and produce this. And... But she got it. And many of us miss it. We know the promises. We know what the Bible says, but we oftentimes miss Jesus. See, the, they point, the promises all point us to the person of Jesus Christ. The first coming of Jesus Christ points us to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Christmas guarantees Christ's second coming. Not only does it guarantee it, it builds hope for it. In fact, if you, if you read those verses in Revelation 21, 3 through 5, they all build hope for Jesus coming back. But you know what the problem is for many of us when we think about the second coming, especially on Christmas night, is that, that, that we oftentimes think because of our movie experiences and our life experiences that the second's never as good as the first, right? Like the sequel's never as good, is it? If you watch a movie, you watch a great movie, and you're, lo you're loving it, and they announce there's going to be a, a part two, and you're like, yeah, and then you go watch it, you're like, eh. One of our Christmas traditions in our house is to uh, do our Christmas tree and decorate it, go buy it, decorate it on the day after Thanksgiving. We did that this year. Like most of the timing was off on everything for us, but we did that one this year. And that night, what we did is we popped on a movie, Home Alone. Y'all watch Home Alone? Anybody watch Home Alone? You allowed to admit that in church? We, I'm the pastor. We did. And so we were watching Home Alone, and uh, we were decorating our tree and drinking hot chocolate and eating more cookies than we should eat and had the tree all decorated and sat down, watched the end of the movie. Home Alone 2 comes on. We watched that. People started falling asleep. Two kids fell asleep. My wife fell asleep. And then myself... Two of my kids, we're still awake. The movie's over with. I look at them. I'm like, you want to watch another movie? I'm like, yeah, let's watch another movie. So then Disney Plus pops up the suggested next movie. Do you know what it was? Home Alone 3. <laughs> Did you know there was a Home Alone 3? When the logo came up for Home Alone 3, I was like, that's not even the right kid. What are you doing? That's not Kevin McAllister. Like, come on. We did not watch that. We watched some other bad Christmas movie. But we didn't watch that one. I was offended by that. See, in most of our experiences, our problem is the sequel is never as good as the first. But what you see in the Bible is actually the first coming of Jesus is actually a foreshadowing for how great the second's going to be. Did you see these verses? Let me read them to you again. Verse 3, we don't have time to unpack them, I'll just reflect on this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, look, pay attention, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Remember in Matthew chapter 1? He'll be Emmanuel, God with us. In John chapter 1, he came to tabernacle to dwell among us. But here, this dwelling is different. This dwelling is different because there's no sin. There's nothing hindering our interaction with God. In fact, if you read the rest of the book of Revelation, what you find is there's no sun anymore because God's glory lights the place. The Bible says that right now that God dwells in unapproachable glory, that if we looked at his holiness, that you and I would die. But we're going to have an unhindered fellowship with him, not hindered by sin, and we're going to be able to dwell on his glory, and he's going to dwell with us forever. But it gets, it gets better. Look at this. There's even more. We could stop right there, but there's more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's been a lot of difficulty this year. Some people have lost loved ones. 
There's a lot of pain in this world. But now when he comes back, he wipes away every tear from every eye. No crying. No pain. No disabilities. No sicknesses. See, when Jesus came the first time, he healed sicknesses. He healed lepers. He healed blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He healed people that were crippled. He, he did all kinds of miracles, but he didn't heal everybody. When he comes back the next time, nobody's sick. There's no crying. There's no pain. There's no death. Did you see that? See, when Jesus came the first time, he raised people from the dead. Widow's son, his friend Lazarus. But the second time, there is no more death. Death is done. Do you know why death is done? Because sin is done. Because of what happened the first time. When Jesus came the first time, he came to be a savior. To save people from their sins. And what he saved them from was the penalty of sin. And we don't have time to read all of Revelation. But if you read Revelation chapter 19 and 20, what you find out is everybody's not going to be in Revelation chapter 21. Because everybody whose name is not written in the book of life is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. But the people who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that responded to the Savior, that they'd be saved from their sins, the penalty of their sin, then one day, believer, get this. You're not only going to be saved from the penalty of sin, from the very presence of sin, the power of sin. That's good news. That's something to look forward to. But are you ready? Because Christmas came to prepare us for Christ's second coming. Christmas gets us ready, prepares us for Christ's second coming. See, I mentioned that movie, Home Alone. Some of you have seen it. Some of you have never been watching a movie at church for whatever reason. Do you know the key to that movie is that Kevin McAllister actually knows the burglars are coming? Because think about it. If he didn't know that the bad guys were going to come, then all it is is a movie about a kid who was left home alone, and then the house gets ransacked, and he gets left there, and there's nothing left in the house. And but what happens is there's a key scene where he realizes these bad guys are coming to rob his house. And do you remember it? He closes the door. He says, this is my house. I must defend it. And then the music starts playing. And he gets the micro machines out. And the iron set up to fall on the guy's face. And the torch for the guy's head. And the BB gun, right? Like all that stuff. Ready, right? Because he's ready. Do you know what the Bible says? That when Jesus comes back, he'll come like a thief in the night. Are you ready? Because the Bible is written to make sure that we're ready. It says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 7, and behold, I'm coming soon. It's Jesus speaking. Revelation 22, verse 12, and behold, I'm coming soon. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, and he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. And then the heart's cry of a believer should be, come, Lord Jesus. But he's slow. He's slow in keeping his promises. He's not willing that any would perish. He wants everyone to turn to him based on what he did at the first coming. It's like the angel said in Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And what did the angel say to, to, to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1? His name will be Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. He wasn't just a good story. He came to rescue us, to rescue us from our sins to rescue us from the penalty of sin. And he did that by living a perfect life, dying on the cross, absorbing the wrath of God so that we don't have to, and then offering us eternal life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And just as tomorrow, someone might hand you a gift. In order for you to receive the gift, you have to open the gift. You have to take the gift. God's offering you a gift at Christmas. It's the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. But you have to receive him as your savior. He's not just the savior. He wants to be your savior. How do you do that? Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says it like this. 
If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. That's rescued from the penalty of sin. Is Jesus Christ your Savior? If not, why not? Why don't you trust him to be your Savior right now? I'm going to tell you how. You, you call upon him to be Lord, and, and you can do that right now. In fact, if you're watching online or if you're in this room, would you just bow your heads with me? Close your eyes, and I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, would you pray this prayer with me? I'm going to acknowledge sin, acknowledge that Jesus died for sin, rose from the dead, and then ask Jesus to be my personal Savior. If you want to do that, will you just pray this prayer with me? Dear God, I acknowledge my sin before you. I am a sinner. Because I'm a sinner, that means I need a Savior. I believe your son Jesus Christ came to be that Savior. I believe your son Jesus died for my sins. Not only died, rose. He's offering me life. And right now I want to receive the life that your son Jesus came to give. I want your forgiveness. I want Jesus to be my Savior. I call upon him to be my Lord. If you just prayed that in your heart, you believed it, you meant it, you were sincere. The Bible says you've been given eternal life. It's the most important decision you could ever make. And I don't want you to be alone in it. And so if you just did that, if you're watching online or if you're here in this room, if you would just take a moment before you sing this next song with us. and Would you text the word Jesus to the number that's on your screen? We've got some pastors that will be on the other side of that that would love to text you some information about your next steps in relationship with Jesus. For those of you that are believers, we've got a lot to hope in. And we're going to sing about it.